Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Rich in Grace series, which walks through the book of Ephesians, discovering the incredible riches that we have in Christ. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. This morning, we're going to jump right back in our study in the book of Ephesians. If you've been with us through the study, we've learned a lot. Uh, remember, Paul wrote to these believers after having been there uh, for three years. Yeah, you can open your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll be in just a minute. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul spent time with the, the believers at Ephesus in Acts chapter number 19. He was there for about three years he would, uh, two years to three years, he would spend a lot of time investing and in reaching people. The Bible says, summarizes it in Acts chapter number 19, that where there were not a few that believed, that there were a lot of people that believed and received, in, received Jesus Christ and believed the message that Paul brought to them. And then Paul would, would leave on his travels. He would continue. And down the road, 10 years later, Paul would have a great burden to write back and be a blessing to the believers at Ephesus. He would be writing this letter from the Mamertine prison in Paul. He would be writing this uh, from a place of seclusion. He'd be writing this from a place not knowing where his future lay. He would be writing this from a place of no doubt, some worry and some fear. And yet he writes to others to encourage them and to be a, a blessing to them. And I, I just want to, I want to ask you this morning and I'll ask it a few times as we go through our series, but I wonder who do you want to encourage when you go through trials? Let me ask it again, because some of you think, did you word that right, Pastor? Yes. Who do you want to encourage when you go through trials? You see, most of the time when we go through trials, we want encouragement. Here's Paul going through a trial, desiring to be an encouragement. Man, God help us to have that spirit, just like Jesus, when Jesus before the cross, who is he speaking words of encouragement to? He's speaking words of encouragement to his disciples, and he was telling them, hey, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, uh, you know, I, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will, doubt, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And, and he told them so many, so many times through uh, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, a messages, message of encouragement to them, trying to be a blessing, even though he himself was in the midst of a trial. That's Paul's heart as he writes the book of Ephesians. We've learned a number of things as Paul wrote and challenged these believers and the readers. We've learned, number one, what God thinks about us. Man, I'm so thankful that God values or adores me. God values or adores you. We saw that the first week, that he, uh, he adopts us and brings us into the family of God, uh, giving us the spirit of adoption. We're born into the family through new birth. We receive the spirit of adoption, which allows us to receive the inheritance of Christ at the moment of salvation. There's a lot to that. He accepts us. Man, God, God will never love me anymore, any less than he does right now. And he accepts you in spite of you. That's a good one. That's a big one that we are accepted in the beloved, Ephesians chapter one and verse number six. We looked the second week at the uh, being reminded of what God gives to us, that he gives us understanding. Uh, he gives us an inheritance. He gives us forgiveness free and God gives us or places in our life the Holy Spirit. We saw a few weeks ago the prayer request that Paul had for the believers there at Ephesus. Remember, he prayed that they would get to know God. Hey, I'm praying that you would know God and that you would know his fullness and that you would know him because you trust who you know. And what a great challenge for me and you. Man, spend time every week getting to know God. Why? Because I'll trust him more. And if I trust him more, I'll follow him more closely. And if I follow him more closely, man, I'm gonna grow in my faith. And if I'm growing in my faith, I'm gonna make a greater impact on the people around me. And then last week at our church's 11th anniversary. Yesterday, I was uh, finalizing this intro part, and I, I put on my notes as we celebrated 13 years here at Moses Lake Baptist. And then I was looking at it, and I was like, how many years did we celebrate last week? Uh, we celebrated 11 years. And as we look at the 11th anniversary, last week, we were simply reminded of the fact that every single one of us and his church, we should showcase God's grace Ephesians chapter two and verse number seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Hey, God, for, for generations to come, God wants to show the world how good he is through people who believe in him. That's you. 
I hope this week that by the way you lived and by the way you spoke and by the way you responded to coworkers, I hope this week someone, someone saw Jesus in you, that we were a picture of grace. As we come to our time this morning, Paul is actually going to continue with a, a desire to help the believers know the difference that salvation makes in them. If you were here last week, you'll remember we really looked at verse number four when Paul, he spoke about who we were. We were all dead in sins. But verse number four of Ephesians chapter number two, but God who is rich in mercy, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. You know what happened? Paul, Paul notes who we were. We were dead in sin on our way to hell, but then God didn't leave us there. He stepped in and died on the cross. Well, why'd he do it? So that we could glorify him. One of the reasons of, of salvation is for us to glorify him and continue living in that grace. And Paul's going to kind of continue down that, that theme of the blessings that come by being saved, some great uh, parts of our inheritance in Christ. But before we get going this morning, I just want to ask you if you have ever been on the outside of something and wishing you were on the inside of that something. Have you ever been on the outside of an ice cream store? I don't know about you, but our kids and myself, Every time we go on vacation or we'll, we'll go somewhere, um, Hannah's family lives down near uh, um, uh, Monterey, California, and Monterey has the Fisherman's Wharf down there. Best clam chowder you'll eat. Uh, it's an incredible, a couple of places down there. And um, they also have ice cream parlors, ice cream stores, and candy stores. And I don't know about you, but whenever I'm walking by the ice cream store or the candy store, I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be on the inside. And we'll be walking by and, you know, Hannah, she's the healthy one of our family. And I know you didn't know that. Uh, but she, you know, she's always concerned about that. And I'm thankful for it. And, and I praise the Lord for it. She's helped me have some care about that. But when I walk by a candy store or an ice cream store, I'm not thinking about health. No, I'm, I'm thinking about unhealth. And I'm walking by and I'm looking and Hannah just keeps cruising. She's like, oh, that smells good. Yeah, no, we're not going there, you know? And I'm like, kids, stay with your mom. Man, I wanna wanna go in and pretty soon I look back and Hannah's down here. She's walking towards clam chowder, which is clam chowder healthy? Kind of, depends on how it's made. Anyway, she's walking towards clam chowder. That's a health lesson for today. And I look, but she looks back and here's me and the kids and we're standing outside the candy store. It's like we're waiting for her just to be like, all right, just this once, you know. And man, we're standing there looking. And you know, I'm, first thing I do when I go in, I look for free samples. <laughs> be honest, how many of you are the, you're the free sample people? You're my, you're my peeps right here. You're my people. I love you. I, I look for free samples. I love the places. I was in an ice cream shop in, in Vegas uh, for, or no, in, where, where'd we go? Texas for a meeting that we were at. And we walked by this ice cream store and went to this ice cream store. They let you sample any of them. Like not one or two, like you can. So you know what I did? I was like, hey, um, could you just put a little sample in, every, in a cup? Like just put all of them, one little scoop of everything in a cup and I'll sample that. He's like, that's not how it works, sir. And I was like, it could be. Like you and I, I thought, I thought we were friends. I thought we connected. Man, I went in, I'm sampling that. <clears throat> I'm the guy with the fudge, you know? I don't wanna look at the fudge behind the glass. I want them to open the glass up, let me smell the fudge and I wanna eat all the fudge. Uh, that's me. I can't eat too much of it. You know what? We've all been there. We've all been on the outside looking in, desiring to be on the inside. This morning as we come to Ephesians chapter number two, this thought is precisely what Paul writes about. He writes about being on the outside looking in or on the inside looking out. Yeah, before I keep going, let's just get into it. All right, let's stand. Let's look at this, Ephesians chapter number two. 
Ephesians chapter number two, and we're going to discover what Paul talks about on being on the outside looking in. Ephesians chapter two, verse number 11, notice what Paul says. He says, wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, pause. This is a reference and we're not gonna get into a lot of it, but this is a reference this morning to the Jews versus the Gentiles, okay? The Jews, they referred to themselves as the circumcision that would go all the way back to uh, uh, Moses and Abraham and all of the, uh, the covenants in the Old Testament and the circumcision done on the eighth day of a male to demonstrate being dedicated to the Lord. So they referred to themselves as the circumcision but they referred to the Gentile as the uncircumcision. So whenever you see that in scripture in the New Testament, the circumcision versus the uncircumcision, it's really, it's the Jewish way of saying Hebrews or Gentiles, okay? That's, that's what it is. Verse number 12, verse number 12. That at, the time, that at that time, ye Gentiles, you were without Christ and you were being, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye, who, were some, who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, is our Jew and Gentile peace, who hath made both Jew and Gentile one, Together and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinance, for to make in himself of twain, of two people, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came. And preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Listen, this passage, I, the, the, more we, the more I preach the book of Ephesians, the more I fall in love with the richness of Ephesians. And this passage before us today, honestly, at a light, casual reading, you would probably go away from it saying like, okay, what? I, I kind of get a little bit of that, but what does it mean? I think today, every single one of us will leave with a clear, more clear understanding of these verses to understand this principle. Here's the principle that we are going to look at today that Paul writes about. Before Jesus, before Christ, you and I, Jew and Gentiles, everybody before Jesus is on the outside looking in. Before Christ, everybody's on the outside looking in and saying, man, I, I want that. I want peace. I want joy. I want forgiveness. But when you receive Christ, what he said in verse number 13, you are brought nigh. You know what that means? The door is opened. And now you're on the inside looking out. Man, with Christ, we who were on the outside looking in, with Jesus, we now are on the inside looking out. And this morning, we're gonna take a few minutes and discover a few thoughts about that, about what it really means to be on the inside. What changes in my life when I'm on the inside? Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you, would you take a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask God to speak to you? You can pray something simple. Dear God, please speak to me. Dear God, please speak to me. And then make the decision, God, if you speak to me today, I'm gonna listen to you, I'm gonna respond to you. Dear Lord, we just wanna come before you and thank you for this day. I thank you for this passage, Lord. It has been... Uh, helpful to me this week, and I've been encouraged by it and reminded of some great truth today and, and this week. And so what I pray, God, I pray that you'd help us to hear from you. I pray that you'd help us to be challenged by your word this morning. I pray that you'd help us to make a decision, Lord, to realize every day that we are on the inside. And God, that that 
brings a number of blessings into our life. And Lord, I pray that we'd take advantage of those. And Father, I pray that if there's someone here with us today in person or online, they don't know if they died today that they'd go to heaven. I pray that you'd help them to come to know you as Savior and put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Pray that you bless our time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. When we receive Christ, we are brought nigh, we are brought inside, and being on the inside, it really changes everything. And there's four things that I just want us to notice this morning that being on the inside changes. Number one, being on the inside, it changes my relationships with others. Being on the inside, being brought nigh to Christ, it changes my relationships with others. I'm going to go back and read the, those verses, verse 11 through 15 again, because I want us to catch what Paul is writing about. He says this, wherefore, wherefore, because of what we've been talking about, because of salvation, I want you to remember that ye, being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, all right? I don't know, and there might be somebody here this morning that is of Hebrew descent, but most everybody, most everybody that you and I would come in contact with are Gentiles, all right? And the Gentile, a Gentile is someone who is just simply not a Jew, not a Hebrew. So this is speaking then to us. He says, you are called the uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hand. That at that time, ye were without Christ. At what time? Well, that time when you were without Christ, <laughs> Remember, he's been talking about what salvation brings into our life. Remember who you were. At that time when you were there, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh, are brought near by the blood of Christ for because he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now, in the first 10 verses, in the first 10 verses, and we, we don't have time, so everybody, if you, if you don't remember, go back and listen to last week's message. In the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter number two, Paul, he discusses the salvation of sinners in general. Hey, everybody is born separated from God. Verse number one, and you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Everybody is born dead in sin. We are born spiritually dead. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. In these verses, Paul turns to the topic of Jew versus Gentile. And in this passage, Paul addresses this fact that the gospel, it changes the relationships between Jew and Gentile. Really, the gospel changes all of my relationships. I've summarized it this way, that the gospel, it turns enemies into brothers, Okay, the gospel of Jesus turns enemies into brothers. For centuries, the circumcision, the Jews, they would look down on the Gentiles, the uncircumcision. They looked down on them with this, an attitude that God had never intended for them to display. Well, why did they have that attitude? Because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, in like the book of uh, uh, Genesis through the book of, uh, the book, uh, of Malachi, uh, that Old Testament, all of those 39 books, it's very clear that God chose to display his power through Israel. Okay, you can go to the Old Testament, who, or to uh, the, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books, Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and you find very quickly that God said, I want to use Israel as my vessel, as my vessel to showcase my goodness to the world. But here's what Israel did. Israel, the Hebrews, they got proud in that, and they began to snub their noses at the world. God's intention, listen, God's intention was never to say the Jews and the Gentiles are better than each other or worse than each other. God's intention was to say, I'm going to use the Hebrew people to show my goodness to the world. When, and you can go and you can study it out sometime for yourself, go to the book of Joshua. 
Go to the book of Judges. When the people of Israel were humble in that spirit, humble in that, and they knew God chose us to demonstrate his power to the world, many Gentiles believed. So like, think about this. When the people of Israel, those of you that know know scripture, when they came into the promised land, the very first city that they met was Jericho. Remember that? Remember Joshua and the battle of Jericho? They came into Jericho and they came in with humility, right? They came in like, God, we can't do this except you do it. The Hebrew people did. And do you remember the very first person that they really met in Jericho? What was her name? Rahab. Rahab the harlot. She used to be a harlot. Rahab the harlot. And she said, we know that God is with you and we know that God has given you this land. It was evident to the Gentile nations that God had given them that land. And you wanna know, Rahab, what she did? She said, "Uh, I'm gonna join you guys. (laughs) She was like, I'm on the wrong team. I'm changing teams. And she believed. And she is in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And she is also in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Like she was the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus. And yet she was a Gentile. So God's intention, look it all through scripture, God's intention was not to delineate two people groups, one superior and one inferior. God's intention was to use a people group to demonstrate his power to the world, okay? What did the, what did the Jews do? The Jews, they turned it into, we are on the inside, everybody else is on the outside. That's what the Jews did. Hey, we, <laughs> we have God's power, we have God's covenants, <laughs> we have everything, and you guys have nothing, That was kind of their mentality. And so Paul, knowing knowing all of this, Paul writes about it. And I really, I wish we could spend days on just these few verses, but we can't. I mean, we could, but you wouldn't like me after that. Um, But here's what Paul does. He helps him understand that the Gentiles and the Jews were both on the outside looking in. And he says to them, hey, all of us were without, on the outside. Well, what were we on the outside of? He goes through and he lists, I think, five things. He says, you were without Christ. Okay, before Jesus, what are we? We're without Christ. We are lost and destined for hell. We've been through that. We're not gonna repeat all of this, but to his writer, the the Ephesians, they worshiped the goddess Diana and before the gospel of Jesus entered into their cities through Paul, they knew nothing about Jesus and they, these Ephesians, just like everybody throughout history is born without Christ. What else were they without? They were without citizenship. They were without citizenship. You see the phrase being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, it means the the word aliens, it means one shut out from. The commonwealth is talking about a communion with God or a citizen of his kingdom. Before salvation, listen, before salvation, we are without Christ, but we also are not a part of the kingdom of Jesus. We're not a part of the kingdom of Christ. Before you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you're on the outside of the kingdom looking in. You don't know Christ. You don't know his kingdom. You don't know his blessings. You don't know all that would come along with it. You are, a, you are an alien, one who is shut out from the fellowship with God, that citizenship that God desires to have with people who are in his kingdom. Number three, everybody still with me? So we're without Christ, we're without citizenship, and then we're without the covenants, all right? Without the covenants, the covenants were that those covenants that were specifically made to the Hebrew people, but made to the Hebrew people for the world's inheritance. Verse number um, eleven or verse number twelve, it says that you were strangers from the covenants of promise. Now, while the blessings of the Gentiles is included in God's covenants with Abraham, God did not make any covenants with a Gentile nation. The Gentiles, they were. Outside, they were strangers to covenants. Hey, God didn't promise that to you. And the Jews never let the Gentiles forget that. You go, you go uh, I'm reading in the book of John this month. So I'm doing, uh, I've been telling you the last couple of years, I'm doing a, a book a month. I try to read through an entire book in the day. The book of John, it's 21 chapters. So I actually just do it seven chapters a day. And so I get through every three days, I go through the book of John. And so 
Today's the 13th. I started back in John chapter number one this morning, did John one through seven. And the, it's come to my attention though, as I read through it, how many times the, the Jewish Pharisees, right? The religious people within Judaism, they stand and they say to Jesus this. They're like, hey, who do you think you are? Our father is Abraham. We are not Gentiles. Hey, who do you think you are to condemn us? The covenants were made with us. The Jewish people, what they did is they claimed their heritage and they believed that their heritage is what made them right with God. That's what they believed. And they would turn to the covenants all the time to say, hey, God made covenants with us. Hey, God loves us because he promised us because us he promised us these things. But the fact is that the Gentiles and the Jews, they both were on the outside. Remember what Jesus said to these Pharisees? He was like, hey, you may claim Abraham as your father, but you missed it. You missed why the covenants were even given to Abraham. And so what, what is Paul writing to, the, to these believers at Ephesus? He's saying, hey, before Christ, you all were without Jesus. You were without citizenship. You all were without covenants. Even though the covenants were made to Abraham, the Jewish people, they missed it too. What else are we without? You're without confidence. He says in verse number 12 at the end, he says, having no hope. Having no hope. Historians tell us that there was a great cloud of hopelessness covering the ancient world. Actually, one of the philosophers said this, philosophies were empty, traditions were disappearing, religions were powerless to help man face either life or death. In the ancient world, it was an absolute hopeless culture. And I think if we were to be honest, we can see that today in our culture, hopelessness people who are without hope, people who I'm thinking right now, uh, man, you look at anything in our economy and, uh, and we talked about it last week, gas prices going up and the cost of living going up and all of that. And you know what this world does? This world looks to all of that and goes, ah, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna live? How are we gonna survive? What is that? That's a hopelessness. That's a lack of hope. And this is what Paul writes to them. Hey, you were without hope. You were without confidence. And people like them, uh, they today, like they did then, they long for some sort of hope and confidence in this life and the afterlife. Hey, before Christ, you were without that confidence, but also you were without God. You see it at the end of verse number 12, you were without God in this world. We'll talk more about this in just a minute, but they were not without gods, little g gods, History actually says that in that day, it was easier to find a God. It was easier to find a God than a man in Athens. They had millions of gods that they worshiped. It's like Hinduism. Hinduism and those, uh, many of those uh, Eastern religions, they have just millions of gods that you worship. But no matter how many gods you might have, little g-gods, Without Christ, you are on the outside of a relationship with God looking in. You're without God. And here's what Paul is writing to them. Before Christ, the Jew and the Gentile are always butting heads. The Gentile looks down on the Jew and the Jew looks down on the Gentile. And you Gentiles, Paul writes, the Gentiles, you were completely on the outside, but the Jews need to realize they too were on the outside. But then what happens? Verse number 13. But, look at it, verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You are brought in with Christ for he is our peace. Well, what does that mean? He is our peace. Remember, Paul's talking about Jew and Gentile. When he says he is our peace, Paul is talking and saying, God brings peace. Jesus Christ brings peace between the Jew and the Gentile. Jesus Christ being, brings peace. For years, I thought, well, this verse is referring to he is our peace with God. And it refers to that later. But look at what it says. He is our peace who hath made both, who are the both there, Jew and Gentile. He's made us one. 
And what has he done? He's broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity. He has taken that enmity. He has taken the enemy ship that is with between Jew and Gentile. He has taken all of the biases. Listen, and we're gonna talk about it very quickly this morning. He has taken all the biases in this world and Jesus breaks them all down. And we say it often. He makes the ground level at the cross. And here's what having Jesus, uh, I say all of that to get to this thought, having Jesus literally breaks down all the barriers in every relationship. It breaks down all the barriers. The phrase, but now, it parallels that but God in verse number four, both speak of the gracious intervention of God on behalf of lost sinners. And the word enmity is kind of a key word in this section. There is a twofold enmity. The Jews were enemies against the Gentiles and the Jews and Gentiles were enemies to God. And before Christ, you're on the outside looking in, but with Christ, those who were once enemies are now one in Christ. We are one body. We are one group of believers. We are one kingdom. And that's speaking of the oneness that you see. What does Jesus do? He breaks down all of the walls of separation. He changes my relationships with others. When you have Jesus in your life, you will see people through his lens and not your own. One man said it this way, religious history is not a record of man starting with many gods and gradually discovering the one true God. Rather, it is a sad story of man knowing the, truth, knowing the truth about God and deliberately turning away from it. Here's what happened is every single one of us, we are born without God. And because of that, we are born into our own heritages and our own cultures and our own biases. And we put up all of these walls and Romans 1, it is in us to know that there is a God, but we turn to our own righteousness, we turn to our own ways, and just like the Jewish people, even though they knew there was a God, remember, I've said this multiple times for our church family, their relationship with God was cyclical. Remember that? It was always going round and around. They follow God, not follow God, get chastened by God, turn back to God, not follow God. And it was always cyclical. And you and I are the same way. But before Christ, there is no fellowship of God. We are all separated. We are all dead in our sins. And because of that, you look at all of the isms in the world. Racism. Uh, That's the only one I can think of. Uh, What'd you say? Sarcasm. No, that's, that's asm, man. Uh, you look at all of the isms, look at all the, all the uh, uh, racial things and gender issues and all of the identity issues. Look at all of the isms that break up the world. Here's what Jesus says. I break down all the barriers. And Galatians chapter three, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female. No, listen, in Jesus Christ, all are one. The ground is level at the cross. Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, when you met Jesus, he would come into your life and he changes your relationships with others. He changes how we should view people. When it says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are brought nigh by the blood of Christ. In that verse, and again, this passage is so rich, we could take a ton of time on just those first four verses of 11 through 15, or 11 through 14. When he says that ye were brought in, it's, it's like God bringing two people, and the picture is this, two people who were enemies, God brings them together and then into himself. That's the picture. Like, hey, you got, it's like siblings, right? When, does anybody do the, what do you call the t-shirt thing? What is that? The uh, get along shirt? Yeah, the get along t-shirt. You have a huge t-shirt. Your kids are fighting. You put them both in the get along t-shirt. They're one. Uh, Man, that's, that's kind of like what I picture God with this thing right here. He's like, hey, Jews and Gentiles, you have not been getting along. I'm, we're going to put you in the get along t-shirt because when you receive Christ, I bring you together and you're brought nigh to me. You who, were, you who were enemies of each other, man, when you, when you put me into a relationship, it changes the dynamic of that relationship. Boy, we could really take this and we could go down a lot of roads, couldn't we? Because when you insert Jesus in any relationship, it changes the relationship, like a marriage. When you put Jesus in the center of a marriage, it will change your marriage. 
Parenting, when you put Jesus in the center of parenting, it will change how you parent. A work relationship, when you put Jesus in the middle of a work relationship, it will change how you, how you grow through challenges together. It will change that work relationship. Friendships, uh, enemies be- becoming brothers in Christ. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's helping us understand that before Christ, you were on the outside looking in, but with Christ, you who were with enemies, you were now on the inside. You are both brought nigh. We learned about this a couple of weeks ago in our study in the book of James, the fact that Jesus tears down all the barriers and all the biases that we create. Verse 14, he is our peace. He brings peace into relationships. So here's the question I ask you. Are you allowing your relationships with God to break down your biases and change your your relationships with others? We can refuse to see people how God sees them because we, we stay looking at people through the old lens. This isn't in my notes and I'm gonna do it anyway. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. <clears throat> in life, we all have biases that are naturally there. Some people deal with, with race, racial biases. With Jesus, it's broken down. But here's what I want to get at. If you're a child of God, if you're a child of God, God desires that you and I would see people through his eyes, no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what they teach, no matter what their politics are, no matter what their gender issues are struggling with, no matter what their marriage preferences are, now, does that mean we go along with everything and say, oh, okay, well, that's okay, and we become, and we become uh, uh, um, enablers and all of that? No. I will stand up here. Listen, I will stand up here any day of the week, and I will tell you that you should vote for people who believe the Bible. I will tell you that marriage is between a man and a woman for life. I will tell you that abortion is murder based upon Scripture. I will stand here, and I will tell you that and, I, and with confidence But I'm going to tell you right now that Jesus loves the LGBTQ crowd just like he loves you. And don't let somebody tell you that God can't reach down and save somebody who's a part of that group. Don't let somebody tell you that. Because Jesus said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All right, now here's a hard one. Democrats versus Republicans. Oh, pastor, you had to go there. It was going good. Now your, now your rabbit trail is not going good. Hey, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will say, well, I disagree with that, that, I disagree with that president. I disagree with that representative. I disagree with them. I just wish they would, and there's Christians, they'll say, I just wish they would die and go to hell. Really? Like, how about, God, would you, would you bring a Daniel across their path? God, would you bring somebody across their path that just points them to you? God, would you help me to pray for them? God, would you help me to write them and invest in them and not, not always make my, di- right, we make our differences king. Man, Jesus is king. And when he's on the inside, he brings He brings balance to relationships and he helps us to view others, especially other believers in Christ. That's specifically what the passage is about is believers in Christ being one and seeing each other as one. But I think there's so much application here for just the way we view all relationships. So number one, Jesus changes our relationships. When we're on the inside, changes my relationships. Number two, changes my standing with God. It changes my standing with God. Go to verse number 16 and 17. And that he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you, which were afar off and to them that were nigh. The phrase preaching peace to you that were afar off and you that were nigh is Jesus preaching to the Gentiles and the Jews. You see, the Jews, they were a bit closer to God, but they also missed it, right? God made the promise to them, but they missed it. And so this is Paul. He's writing to them and he's saying, hey, when you got saved, here's what, here was God's desire. It was to reconcile both of you 
to himself, to change your standing before God. Remember what Peter said in Acts chapter number 15. Peter said that there is no difference between us and them, Jew and Gentile, purifying their hearts by faith. The disciples, they understood, verse number 11 of Acts 15, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they, Jew and Gentile. Hey, salvation, listen, to be reconciled to God is the same for every single person. Everybody is saved or reconciled to God the same way, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ that we sang about just a minute ago. It was not a question of the Gentile becoming a Jew or a Jew becoming a Gentile. It was a question of both admitting that they're sinners and needing a savior. This is how it was summarized in Romans chapter three, verses 22 and 23, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A few verses later, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For because the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not only is mankind divided amongst themselves, but we are also divided from God. The Jew and the Gentile were divided from each other, and we are divided from God. But God is a God of love. And he wants to reconcile the sinner to himself, but since he is also a God of holiness... He must see to it that sin is judged. Did you know that division has been the history of man? Adam and Eve, they sinned against God and it divided their relationship. Cain killed Abel. That divided their family dynamic because then Cain was outcast. Division, man, because of sin, Man has ruined every relationship. That's why we all need to be reconciled. The word reconciled brought together, to bring together. And you know what happens when Jesus died on the cross? The Bible says there in verse 16 and 17, he abolished the enmity between the Jew and Gentile and between sinners and God. What does that mean? Jesus was the bridge I know this is kind of elementary today. I know this is kind of low shelf for us today, but we need to not ever get over the fact that Jesus is the bridge to God. You cannot be brought together to God without Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do? He brings peace between enemies and he brings peace between mankind and God. Reconciled. That's verse 16 and verse 17. Hey, you used to be afar off, but you're brought nigh. You were enemies with people, I love church. You know why I love church? Church is the only place. It's the only place where you can get people from all sorts of walks of life together in agreement. Like this is the place where like police officers and ex-cons worship together. This is the place where the wealthy and the poor worship together. If you're that wealthy crowd, remember to see me afterwards. We gotta talk about our building. <laughs> hey, I gotta get the plug in somehow. No, listen, this is a place where men and women worship together. Old and young worship. What is this? It's the church reconciled to each other because of Christ. And here's what he says. It not only changes your relationship with others, but it changes your standing with God. When you have Jesus, it changes your standing with God. What else does it change? It changes my approach to God. Hey, listen, don't, if, you, if you miss everything today, don't miss this one because this hit me. Look at verse number 18. I love it. For through him, we both. Who's the both? Jew and Gentile. For through him, through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, we have access by one spirit unto the Father. This is so good. I love it. I don't want you to miss it. It has been speaking to my heart since the beginning of this week. I, I started tearing up on the airplane on Monday as I was studying uh, for this week because it's so cool. We both have access to him by one spirit. Okay. Uh, oh, oh. Are we good? Are we still good? Are we good on time? No one has any appointments, need to be anywhere. 
If you do, just tell them pastor was 15 minutes too long today. <laughs> this is really great. Um, here's why. The Jews, okay, uh, oh, the Jews, they, they believed that they couldn't go before God, right? They couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. And so if you know Old Testament, what did they have to do? They had to go to a priest. The priest would go in for the Holy of Holies. Once a year, there would be atonement. Once a month, once a day, there'd be all of these different rituals and all these different things that separated the Jew from God. Okay, the Gentile. The Gentile, the Jews told the Gentile, since you're without covenants and since you're without promise and since you're without God, uh, you can never get in. That's what the Jews told the Gentiles uh, oftentimes. And so here you have these two people groups, the Gentiles knowing the Jews told them you can never get in, and the Jews, they themselves knowing we can never, ever have access to God. We have to go to a priest. That was the Old Testament theology. Even though it wasn't all, all true to a certain extent, they knew they could never talk to God. They never had access to God. And here's what Paul is saying to them. You both, through Christ, Jesus changes your approach to God because now you have access to the Father. Now, Jews, you don't have to go through a priest. Gentiles, you don't have to go through the Jews. There's no stipulations. You all have complete access to God. And so don't let somebody come into your life and say that you don't have access to God. The fact is that because of Jesus Christ, we have complete access and we are allowed into the presence of God. I mean, you think about it this morning. Jesus Christ, he is our peace with each other. Then he made peace between us and somebody else. And then he brings peace to us by preaching that we can have peace in, in, uh, with God through salvation. This whole passage is about the peace or the reconciliation that a believer has with other believers and with God. And because of Jesus Christ, you now can go talk to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords any day of the week. Jew and Gentile are at peace with each other and we are at peace with Christ. And because of that, we have access to God. And it reminds me of the fact that the veil of separation between God and man in the Holy of Holies, it was ripped from top to bottom, God showing that reconciliation is complete. You are brought nigh. You have access to God, and you, you, we should not have been given access, and yet we do have access to a holy God. And you and I, we are still sinners. We still deal with this flesh, and we often become wishy-washy in our relationship, and yet we are given complete access to a holy and a righteous God. And I just want you, I want to encourage you this morning. You are invited into God's presence. Like God wants you to come into his presence. He wants you to have a prayer life. Paul, or the, the author of Hebrews, who I believe was Paul, said this, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find uh, grace to help in time of need. Peter said these words to help us with this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 12. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Hey, if you have Jesus Christ, you are the righteous. God's ears are open to you. He would later say, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. For because he careth for you. John said it this way in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I need this reminder consistently in my life. I need to be reminded that God wants to hear from me. Why? Because I'm in Christ, and since I'm in Christ, I now have access to God. It changes my approach. This is why Paul would write, pray without ceasing. I can't believe that God wants me to be in his presence. I mean, it has shown all throughout Scripture how much of a big deal this is. Think about the picture of this with Esther not being allowed into the presence of King Ahasuerus until the scepter was put down saying, hey, you can't come in because you are unworthy unless I invite you. Listen, through Jesus Christ, the scepter has been let down and you and I, we are invited into God's presence anytime, anywhere, any place. 
We don't deserve for him to fight on our behalf, and yet he says, pray, and I will fight on your behalf. We don't deserve for him to provide for us, and yet he says, pray, and I will provide for you. We don't deserve grace to go through trials, and yet he says, seek my grace, and I will give it to you. We don't deserve wisdom to make decisions, and yet God says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Hey, if there's anything that you walk away with from today, walk away from this message with the mindset of, I have access to God. God. God wants me in his presence. He wants you and I to spend time with him. Don't neglect the relationship with God. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And yet he says to his creation, come, come into my presence. I look this morning and I see that being on the inside, it changes my relationships with God, my standing with God, or my relationship with others, my standing with God, my approach to God. But lastly, it changes my life in this world. We're not gonna look at it long. Look at the end of verse number 12. It just says that you're without God in the world. I just wanna simply bring out this thought that when we are without Jesus, we are without all of the things that we've been hearing about the last few weeks as benefits that come along with Jesus, but you're still living in this world. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm so thankful to go through this life with, with Jesus Christ I can't imagine going through it without him. When you have Christ, it changes your life. When you have Jesus, it changes how you go through this life. Now I'm able to go through this life with Christ as a citizen of his kingdom, as an heir of the promise of God. I have hope. I am accompanied by God and I have access to God. It changes how I travel through this world. It brings hope into a hopeless culture. It brings confidence to the believer. It brings context to our struggles. It brings life above the clouds. It causes us to not get caught up and fixated upon all the craziness that surrounds us. No, it changes my approach to every day. Why? Because now I have Jesus. When I have Christ, it changes everything. You see, when you were without Christ, you were on the outside. But when you have Christ, you are no longer on the outside looking in. Instead, you are brought nigh. You know where we are now if you have Christ in your life? You're inside the ice cream shop. And Jesus doesn't charge for the good flavors. (laughs) Hey, he doesn't charge. The whole thing's free samples. What do you mean, pastor? Once you're on the inside with Christ, it's all yours. Everything that's in Christ, it belongs to you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.